Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back for our weekly Penn State football podcast with Seth Engel of the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegian. Seth is back from Atlanta, where Penn State um, looks not great in the Peach Bowl. Seth, uh, how were your travels and uh, how are you? Uh, doing well. It was a fun trip. It was We were there for about a week. Um, you know, so saw some things and you know, enjoyed my stay. And, you know, the game itself was great. Uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, if you haven't been, is, you know, it's it's pretty spectacular. It's it's big. It's new. Like, there's a lot of things that I think maybe Pat Kraft might have taken some notes on while he's there for the, for the Beaver Stadium renovations. Um, but you're right. You know, the game didn't play out, I think, the way that um, many had hoped it would um, or maybe expected it would. Um, but there are there are a couple legs in that, so we let's I'm uh let's I'm looking forward to breaking that all down with uh, with you today. Yeah, we're gonna get into the defense first, Seth, because that was the big I think headline for me. I mean, we've seen the offense be inconsistent this season. I don't think it was you know major news that they were inconsistent this time. I thought there were some some flashes compared to other games this season, especially against a decent team in Ole Miss. But um, to me, the headline is the defense gets gets shredded for over 500 yards, 540 yards. And, you know, there were opt-outs. You don't have either of your starting corners. Um, then, you know, Abdul Carter has to deal with an injury during the game. Obviously, the coordinator is not there, Manny Diaz. So who knows how that affected communication. So you would you would expect some level of, of decrease from the dominance we've seen from this defense this season. But I think, you know, 540 yards of offense allowed, that has to be a major disappointment, even if you knew that they were going to have some trouble with this Ole Miss offense. Yeah, I think in a way we all saw that that was, you know, that could be a possibility um, where you have a number of guys opt out. Um, you know, even if Kalen King and Johnny Dixon hadn't announced their intentions, um, you know, officially before the game, you know, it, it was assumed that, you know, no matter who was going to the draft or not, like the, those veteran guys probably weren't going to play that much, um, which is going to leave the defense in the hands of, you know, some of these freshmen that we saw at corner, um, you know, it was Cam Miller, who was a sophomore who, who manned that number one corner spot. But the other the other side was was really, you know, two freshmen, Elliot Washington and Zion Tracy, um, who've played this year. But, you know, nothing, you know, really meaningful, um, especially against a really good receiving core in Ole Miss. Um, I think that did tell a story. Um, but and we can talk about this later, you know, later in our chat here. But I think the offense, you know, really kind of messed up the tempo, um, especially when you're trying to keep the defense off the field and an experienced defense with two freshmen at corner. Um, I just don't think the offense lived up to that at all. Um, and it really kind of threw off, you know, the whole game plan for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, but that's but that's also been the case all season, Seth, and and I, I think that's that's my my gripe with with this performance is you expect a step back, you expect maybe the offense is going to cause some problems, but you don't expect them to kind of be thrown on at will the way that they were. Um, and this is not like a, a new thing because I actually yeah. went back and, and did the math on on bowl games and, and how Penn State's performed against you know solid non conference competition in the last three bowl games against, you know, pretty mid-tier SEC programs, Arkansas, Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl in 2018, and then, of course, Ole Miss this year. They've given up an average of 429 yards. Their last five bowl games, the average is 444 yards. Um, that includes, I think, a 540 yards from Memphis in the Cotton Bowl a handful of years ago. 
Um, and then obviously last season against Utah, Penn State was in control. I don't know how much put stock you put in Utah getting almost 400 yards after Penn State had kind of put the game away. But regardless, those are the numbers, Seth. And, uh, you know, at some point, does that matter at all? Because I, I look at it and say, it, it tells me that you when you go outside the Big Ten, you play decent teams, you almost always struggle. And yeah, some of those, I think the Arkansas game they played, what was that? Whatever they call the Outback Bowl these days. Um, they had a ton of opt-outs for that game, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but but still, it's a ton of yards to give up for a program that fancies itself on, on being not just good on defense, but dominant on defense. Yeah, no, it is, uh, especially this season too, right? Because this was a, a defense that had dominated, you know, every single game they played, um, you know, finishing the regular season, number one in total defense and sacks um, to put up a performance like that where they, you know, they allow – 38 points, which is, you know, their season high. Uh, But I do think, you know, in many ways it does directly correlate to the opt-outs. When you lose, you know, a dynamic defensive end in Chop Robinson, you lose Kalen King, you lose Johnny Dixon. um, And the guys who did play, like I said before, like Adisa Isaac and and Curtis Jacobs, like they were not playing normal snap counts. Um, You know, this was – it's not like they were playing 100% of the game, and I don't think anyone was expecting that they would. Um, But Penn State was – was really down um, on, on their defensive talent. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's fair for for James Franklin to uh, to kind of blame the performance on, on opt-outs alone because I think there was more that went into it. Um, I don't know. I think it's just it's, – it's interesting, and it's – I think Penn State was probably hit harder um, in opt-outs than maybe they had before because this was a team that, you know, James Franklin had, had – kind of prided himself on being a guy who's able to keep guys around and not have them opt out. Um, we saw this season that just that just wasn't the case. Yeah, I guess part of my problem with, with that argument from him, though, too, Seth, is that this is the defense for next season, substantially, right? Yeah. You might get some guys in the portal. You're going to have some freshmen coming in. But, you know, Cam Miller's going to see a lot of time next season. And, and you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a frustration with the way Penn State, you know, as we look forward into this 12-team era – I kind of look at performances like this in the last handful of bowl games and I say, can Penn State go into those games and have a chance to win? Or are is their defensive rank so inflated by the putrid offenses of the Big Ten? You look at what Iowa went out. That was Penn State's biggest win of the year now that this right. is all over. Iowa goes out, lays a total egg against Tennessee. They've been averaging, what, 16 points a game all season. And, and how many offenses have, has Penn State seen in the Big Ten that were, you know, Maybe not equally as bad, but also very bad. And and you know you look at Ohio State, Michigan, um, Iowa's defense. They're all ranked very highly, and then they go out in their these bowl games, and and you can see the trend. It, they're just not as good. Do we overvalue these defenses to, to some extent because of the quality of competition that they're exposed to all season, and and how you know the Arkansas and the Kentuckys and the um, you know, the Ole Misses of the world are just better at playing offense than the Indianas and the Illinois and the Wisconsin's. No, I think that's, that's an interesting point. Um, starting to see that in bowl season, you know, definitely. Um, I think the big 10 defense, I think the big 10 defenses are good. Um, I don't think there's any question about that, but I do agree with you. I think that the sample is, you know, maybe a little skewed. Um, but, you know, I looked at Michigan and Alabama and I saw, you know, that Michigan defensive line, um, that I had watched again against Penn State. And it's, it's you know, it's still a very dominant defensive line that I think the rest of the Big Ten 
is kind of trying to model um, themselves in the trenches. Um, it's a defensive line that I think despite, you know, Washington's kind of offensive prowess and their explosiveness, I think, you know, Michigan still stands the test because of that defense. Um, I think they're able to keep teams in check. And I think that that's kind of been the Big Ten model. You know, I agree that, you know, the offense um, pretty much, you know, every team this year, you know, because Ohio State was was always that one lone explosive offense, no matter if things were bad, um, you know, offensively with the rest of the conference. Ohio State was always that explosive team. And now, you know, even they dipped down, you know, this year. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the sample is a little skewed. I'm interested to see Washington and Michigan um, because that's kind of going to signal like the Big Ten is going to be a lot different next year when you bring in these explosive offenses from the Pac-12, just a different style of play. And if that has some kind of trickle down effect, um, but, you know, Penn State to be able to keep up with those types of opponents, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the offensive side of the ball this offseason. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, I'm not saying I think Penn State's defense this year, season was a fraud. I'm not taking this one yeah. game with a lot of opt-outs as, you know, this is this is just what Penn State is. I'm just saying this is Penn State's defense next season. It got shredded by, you know, what, the third place team in the SEC. Yeah. Um and and that makes you that makes me question whether, okay, it's a good defense. Is it an elite defense or is that the part that's skewed? Um, I certainly think if you have the, this defense at full strength going into that game or a playoff game next season, that that you're going to have a good chance to win. It's it's just a matter of is Penn State over relying on on the defense to win in this day and age of college football when you go outside, you know, the troglodyte Big Ten in terms of how they approach offense and and all of that. And I think that's going to be, you know, a major question as, as we get to next season. Is I think Penn State can get to the playoff. I don't have a lot of concerns about that, even with some of these Pac-12 teams you know, coming into the fold and, and shaking things up in the Big Ten. My question is, can you win when you get there? Because I think a lot of the the case for why Penn State fans should be excited is, well, you don't have to go through Michigan and Ohio State to, to potentially win a national championship anymore. You can you can maybe get some good matchups, get a nice setup where you have to win three games against teams you match up well against, and and you, get, you win a national championship that way. Um, I think this throws a little bit of a wrench in, in that narrative because – you know, you see how they perform against teams that, that have opposite styles from around the country. Um, Seth, I, I want to get into the receivers because I knew um, you talked to Hagens, the wide receiver coach. Last thing I'll say on the defense is, um, you know, do, do you have faith that a guy like Cam Miller is going to be able to respond? It was it was a tough game. I think he's going to be good in those games against, um, you know, because they were complimenting him on the broadcast, pretty technically yeah. sound. You know, I think he could be a good corner when you're playing those plotting cornerbacks from some of the Big Ten programs they're going to play. Um, I still have some level of faith that, that things are not going to be bad, as bad at corner next season as, as they maybe looked in this game. Yeah, no, I think I think that the future is bright for, for Cam. You know, he played as a true freshman, too, um, and then this year took a step up. Um, but he's a guy I think they can use in a Johnny Dixon type of role um, where you can use him in blitz packages, which I think is pretty valuable. Um, and unique to have from your cornerbacks kind of changes the tempo and, and switches some things up, um, gives you some different looks. Um, but I, I don't see him being that type of, you know, Kalen King, maybe lockdown guy, um, getting a lot of pass deflections. Um, he's just not that type of corner to me. He's a bigger type of guy um, that I think is going to be able to, you know, kind of fill the box. And um, I think they can use him in pretty unique ways. Um, what worries me is, you know, that other corner spot because, um, you know, Tracy and Washington, I know they're young and um, they're true freshmen. 
and they looked like it on on Saturday. Um, but but will they be ready to go um, to start for a whole Big Ten schedule next year? Um, not just any Big Ten schedule, but one that features you know four more um, highly competitive programs um, with explosive offenses like these. The Pac-12, like I said before, very different than the Big Ten on offense. Um, so will you know two I guess sophomores next year be able to keep up? Um, is my question, and and maybe they want to maybe they want to target the the portal to bring someone else in for that. Yeah, maybe pick up Storm Duck again. Yeah, well, he he, decla- he declared yesterday, so he's he's done. And no, he did not put a Penn State logo on his graphic. UNC and Louisville. <laughs> that's that's funny. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get into the receivers. I think the the big headline for me, Trey Wallace, back for the Peach Bowl. I thought thought he looked pretty good. Granted, some of those catches he made were in garbage time. Padded the stats a little bit. Um, but how do you come out of this game, Seth? Th- feeling about him as as a potential number. You know, you and I keep talking about Julian Fleming as, as kind of a thing we think is going to happen. Let's let's just accept that we think it's going to happen. You're going to have Keandre Lambert-Smith back, you hope. Uh, if you have Trey Wallace in that number three role, regardless of who's one or two, how do you feel about him there? See, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too sure about Keandre coming back. Um, you know, this, is, this was a guy that, uh, before we get into Trey Wallace, like Keandre was supposed to be the number one this year. It was no secret in, in preseason camp. Um, there was the expectation after the Rose Bowl too, and he even said it after the game because um, he had like what 183 receiving yards, um, that long touchdown. It was the longest in Rose Bowl history, and he said this is a sample for next year. Um, so we all thought, you know, Keandre is going to be the guy. Opens up West Virginia, you know, over 100 receiving yards. He was great. Um, blocked in with Aller, and then it kind of all went downhill. Um, you know, especially the past few weeks where Keandre's had, you know, two receptions in like the past four games. Um, and he had one target in the Peach Bowl. Like, remember, this is the number one receiver at the start of the year. Um, finishes in the Peach Bowl with one target, no catches. Um, you know, that's that's pretty mysterious and, and a little weird. So I asked, you know, wide receivers coach Marcus Higgins after the game, like, what's going on with Keandre? Um, and, you know, he talked about, you know, kind of, I don't know, depth chart stuff and holding people accountable. Um, no real direct answer. But I asked, you know, like, do you expect him to be back? And um, basically, you know, that the answer was you can't really control people's decisions. Um, and we will see what happens. So here we are. Dante Cephas declared um, Wednesday morning. And, I, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith could very well be the next Penn State receiver to enter the portal. Um so you talk about Trey Wallace being the number one guy next year. You know, they're they're going to need some help. You know, they're going to need a lot of help. And I don't know if getting those guys out of the locker room might help because um, it might have been a culture thing. Um, but, you know, it was – the receivers were bad this year, and it's not looking like that's – you know, it, it's looking like that might not improve next year either. Why don't you think Keandre's already gone, um, I guess, would be my, my follow-up question then because um... – you know, you have that month-long first portal window, and yeah, there's a second one that opens up. Um, so certainly he'll he'll have his chance to move on then. But you know, you had a you had a month to kind of let marinate on the the way he closed with those last three games. Obviously, the Peach Bowl you can just kind of add to it, but it wasn't like the Peach Bowl was an aberration. I mean, that that was pretty much the trend down the stretch, and it just more or less continued. Uh, why do you think he was still here for for the Peach Bowl if if um, you know maybe there's a chance that he moves on? 
Yeah, I don't know. I think it's possible, like maybe how NFL draft guys use, like if it, like Daquan Hardy played like ninety defensive snaps because he used the Peach Bowl um, as maybe a springboard to boost his draft stock. Like I'm not saying this is why Keandre, you know, maybe stuck around, but it's possible that like he could play, um, and if he has a big game, you know, that boosts his stock in the portal, um, or he just hadn't made his mind up yet. Um, that's that's possible too. Um, but you know, I. I think it's more likely than not that that he's gone um, to start next year, just based on the way that, you know, Hagan's kind of talked about it. And then, you know, going up to Keandre in the locker room and him declining comment, um, you know, arguing with fans on Twitter the next day. I, I mean, I think it's like a CFA situation where it might just be best for both parties to just move on because um, it's not working out. And I think it's only going to hurt the culture in the locker room. That'll be an interesting thing to monitor as we go down the stretch here. Um, I guess so. Let's let's talk about this Cephas transfer, and and you know, let's talk about Trey Wallace as a possible number one. I mean, do you see it with him? I mean, can can you imagine him stepping into that role and maybe being someone who who has a breakout season next season? And 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 what does you know what does the loss of, of Cephas? I don't know if it's even the loss, but I mean, what what does that teach us about the portal? I, I guess is is the question because to me, it's. A matter of you know, a lot of people talk about the portal like you. It's just like the, a magic cookie jar you can go into, and and it's a you know, there's always going to be something for you there. And, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. You know, as we move forward in this unrestricted transfer era, I think it's it's going to be, you know, a, a matter of just like it is with recruiting. Some guys are going to hit, and some guys aren't. Yeah. See, Cephas was such a weird situation because he seemed like such a good fit. Um, you know, coming from Penn Hills, like he had two high school teammates and Daquan Hardy and Tank Smith already on roster. Um, so, you know, he already kind of knows the team in a way. Um, and he was great at Kent State. You know, he's one of you know the better receivers I think they've had in program history um, and just could not make the leap um, with, with Penn State. And, you know, I don't even think that's necessarily on field. I think a lot of that was know how he practiced and how he how he prepared and and um i just don't think he lived up to the expectation that i that i think james franklin had for him um and i think it also kind of started when when he didn't you know early enroll like remember this is a guy who came in in the summer after you know a number of freshmen had already enrolled after you know the pretty much the entire transfer class had already been on campus um cephas kind of you know he, he was there a lot later um, so he had a slow start, and I just don't think he ever really picked it up. Um, you know, I think he we, – we saw in the Maryland game, oh, like this guy might be able to do something, um, you know, with that two-touchdown performance, and it just it just did not follow suit. Um, a, as for Trey Wallace, you know, that's another big question mark this year of, you know, if Trey Wallace is healthy the whole year, what is Penn State's offense, you know, really capable of doing? Um, and, and to – for him to be kind of that number one target in the Peach Bowl, I think we saw, you know, maybe a little bit of, of you know, what he could be able to do in 2024. With that being said, though, True Aller did not complete a pass to a wide receiver until the fourth quarter. So take that as you will. Yeah, that was ugly. Other than Tyler Warren and, you know, even Tyler Warren, you know, how much are you inflated with a 77-yard, you know, play? I mean, it's great that you make the play, but in terms of, like, consistent down 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 to down offense I don't know how much you can take away even from his performance um, even though I think it was encouraging as uh, just in terms of he's coming back he he was a guy that was kind of on that fringe that you do get back a lot of those guys that were on the fringe 
are going, but you do get him back rather than leaving for the NFL. Um, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about Aller. Uh, I, I think he, you know, it was another inconsistent performance where you you saw some, um, you know, I think really good things. I, I think the the offense had some explosiveness in this game that it did not have for much of the season, and I think he had something to do with that. But at the same time, he can't find the receivers. Um, how much of you know, where we are now, do you put on, on Drew Aller and how much do you put on these receivers? Yeah, it was a, just a bumpy kind of ride for Drew Aller in his first year um, to kind of look back on. Um, I think that, and we talked about this since the preseason, like I, I think the receivers do play a big part in that. Because um, if you're a quarterback, you know, could, could you imagine being being a young quarterback trying to figure it out in your first year as a starter um, and your receivers aren't, aren't open like it's just like it's so simple like I feel like there's so many legs that kind of go into you know crafting a football game plan um, and getting a quarterback to find success but what it really comes down to is like a wide receiver being open enough for your 6-6 quarterback to just throw it in make an easy throw and and James Franklin talked about that before firing Mike Yersich was putting Drew Aller in a position um, to just get going like make it simple and Get them going, and just I, Penn State was not able to do that this year. Whether it was because of the play calling, or whether it was because wide receivers either didn't know the plays or just weren't getting separation. Um, so I put a lot of it on the wide receivers. I do, um, and I put you know a lot of that on on Marcus Higgins too, and his first year as position coach. Um, you know, just did not prepare that unit enough to win football games. Um, at the same time. I mean, Drew Aller does not look good at times. Like, he is missing throws that he needs to be making. Um, Like, short passes to Tyler Warren should not be overthrown. Um, There are a number of of passes that were thrown over the heads of people, and he just does not have Jahan Dotson over there to pull it down, um, like Sean Clifford had to to kind of bail him out. Just not not, uh, a pretty season for him at all. Um, Interested to see what kind of happens with, with Kotal Nicky next year, but there is there is a lot of work to do. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you what, Seth, it does bother me sometimes when the wise guys on uh, the wise film guys on Twitter who always take things out of context. They, they take one play and they're like, "Look, this is what happens!" Like all the time, and they'll show a a receiver that, that Drew Aller missed. And my response to that would be, "They're not open every play." And if you can't trust that they're going to be open, it makes it a lot harder to find them when they are. And, and I think that was the big problem for him is it was kind of a compounding thing of did he miss open receivers at times with with his either with his accuracy or with even being able to see them at all? Absolutely. Like you can pull out examples from probably every game of that on a down to down basis, though, as I mentioned before, I, I don't know that those guys were open enough for him to trust that they'd be open. And, and I think that that messes with a young quarterback's head quite a bit. I think we saw. To, you know, to a greater extent, I think probably that with Christian Hackenberg late in his career where the, the talent was not there and, and that just his confidence was shattered by the guys that he was working with um, and, and the quality of talent that Penn State had on that roster. I'm not saying I think Drew Aller is, is headed for Christian Hackenberg territory yet. I think it's too early to declare such a thing, but, um, you know, Penn State needs to do work to avoid that. I think you could see it going that situation if you don't find solutions and Hopefully, Andy Kotelnicki is the the answer for that. Um, let me ask you this, Drew, or excuse me, Seth. Um, we saw we saw the way Drew Aller played. We saw Bo Prabula come in, throw a touchdown pass, get all fired up, 
really channeling like I keep saying this he keeps feeling like Trace McSorley to me the way he plays the way he looks out there same number um is there any scenario where where there's any kind of competition between these two going into next season I know a lot of fans want it I don't think I'm on that bandwagon yet but I think the question needs to be asked well you know damn well that uh James Franklin's going to tell you there is um (laughs) like he did this whole offseason um you know, I, I don't think Bo Perbula is going to be the starter next year, but I do think his reps are going to, you know, continue to to kind of increase. Um, Andy Kotelnicki's a guy who never shied away from a two quarterback system at Kansas um, and actually thrived with it. Um, so I think, you know, Bo Perbula um, could have a future here. And I think I think people are, are kind of questioning, um, oh, this is going to be another Levis situation or a Tommy Stevens where the backup quarterback, you know, isn't going to be used enough. So they're just going to end up transferring. I think with Bo Prabula, Penn State could pretty successfully run a two-quarterback system um, just under the way that that Kotal Nicky kind of does things. Um, you know, I think he likes to throw people off guard and, and keep people guessing. And when you have two quarterbacks, two very different styles, I, I think that's great for the playbook. Um, Bo's come in and, you know, more or less, I think he's been a little more explosive than Aller. Um, just granted, you know, kind of the rate at which they're being used. Um, you know, Prabula had the 48-yard touchdown, a single 10. Um, wasn't necessarily a great throw, and I don't think he has an arm like Trace McSorley. Um, but, you know, he, he made it work, and it was a touchdown, and um, I, I think he does good things for the offense. So I don't think he's going to be the starter per se, but I do think he's going to see an increase in reps next year. Yeah, I, I think when you have a guy that can do all that kind of stuff, it's, it's good to find ways to, to get them involved. Um Seth, let's let's get into the running backs briefly. We've we've talked about them all season. I thought it was a, a great close for them, uh, the way they played against Michigan State, and I think they they did their job against Ole Miss. Um, you know, the play calling that that maybe I thought they probably should have run the ball a little bit more than eighteen times with Singleton and Allen. Granted, the game script was negative. You're behind. You know, late in the game, you probably don't get as many reps for those guys as you would have if you were winning. Um, I still would have liked to see them get more carries, but they did their job. And, and they closed strong after a season that was not particularly explosive. How do you feel about where those guys stand as we look toward 2024? No, I, f- I feel great. And I agree with you. They were not used enough at all. Um, you know, those first couple drives with Nick Singleton, um, that was, you know, some of the best football I think he's played all year um, was maybe in those first three drives they had. Um, you know, he had like an 18-yarder, um, and it took a while to even get him, you know, past 15 yards on a rush. Um, you know, he had 50 yards and eight carries, and then they stopped using him. Like, he finished the game with eight carries when he was on his way to, you know, maybe his best performance of the season. Um, you know, over six yards a carry, and he just stopped using – you stopped using the guy who's, you know, working. Um, and and Catron looked pretty good too and stopped using him. Um, so I just don't understand the game plan to go from, okay, we're finding success on the ground, um, yeah, we didn't score on that first drive, but you know we'll get back there if we keep using the same game plan. It's like no, we're just now gonna, you know, go to our uh, our passing game, which which has been terrible all year. Um, but you know, props to Tyler Warren; he had a good game. Um, but yeah, I do feel good about Singleton and Allen, you know, going into next season. Um, granted, neither transfers, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, you know, I think it's important to to make sure you you retain those guys. 
Um, Seth, I want to circle back to a topic that I, I kind of brought up. You know, as we evaluate the season as a whole, you know, I don't know how much you really should, you know, include bowl games in grading a season because because of the opt-outs. And, you know, starting next season, maybe it's different because the playoff games will count, um, you know, and, and you'll presumably have full rosters. But, you know, you, you had a chance to beat a good team. Uh, 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 you know, you have a chance to, to win a big game and, and kind of shed that label a little bit, just like you did last season by beating Utah in the Rose Bowl. You don't do it. Um, is this is this deflating because of what I mentioned earlier that that you know so much of of the optimistic case for Penn State relies on winning games exactly like this, and you didn't do it. Yeah, I think it is deflating. And and you look at the Rose Bowl last year and what that kind of did for the program and and got hopes up. Um, and I think it was really healthy. Um, to win the Rose Bowl and have the expectation that you're going to make the playoff next year. Um, and it just didn't happen. You know, I think that even going to the Peach Bowl um, was deflating uh, to not make the playoff in a year um, where you had a historic defense and it kind of just seemed like the pieces were in place to get it done. And it just didn't happen. Um, so, you know, not only to miss the playoff, but then lose the New York Six game um, that she went to. You know, it's it's it kind of sucks um, for, for James Franklin, especially um, as this guy who's, you know, just continuously fallen short. Um, and, and that would have been the game. Like you mentioned, Iowa was the biggest win this year. That would have been the game to be like, OK, well, we lost to Ohio State and Michigan, but at least we got that Ole Miss win over an SEC team. And it just, you know, it didn't happen. It's a three loss team. And. Um, this is, uh, this was a season that I think you needed to kind of garner all the momentum that you possibly could gather, um, heading into, uh, you know, a pretty tumultuous 2024 season with a ton of changes. Seth, what do you make of the big tens bowl season overall? Obviously you get Michigan and, and Washington in the, in the championship game. If we're going to count Washington now as a big 10 team, which I think we do. Um, so you get those two, I think that's, that's the headline. That's the good thing. And maybe that's all that matters. And especially in this era of college football, where, because you, you were, I was at home, Seth, watching the game. You were at the game. I, if this is, I'm just going to go on a mini rant here. And I'm going to finish the point. Um, they, they talked about the Peach Bowl for less than 90 seconds on the Peach Bowl halftime show. And they talked about the, what was it, the night before the Cotton Bowl with Ohio State. They, they had Desmond Howard give his like 15 second thoughts on, on what was happening. And then they were into talking about the playoff again. And, and, and it, that frustrates me because we talk about why are these bowls devalued? Well, I'd start with ESPN who has only ever treated these these New Year's Six games that are not in the playoff like they're just like every other bowl game. And, and they use them to set up the playoff, and they don't let them be standalone events. And they, and they don't say, hey, we're going to spend the halftime show talking about what happened in the first half and highlighting the players that made great plays and, and putting them on a stage that, that would justify a lot of these, these opt-out guys playing. ESPN has no interest in that. Um, and, and so, you know, as, as we look toward – you know, next season, does it only matter that Michigan and, and Washington won the playoff games, which is where everyone's eyes were driven by ESPN? Or does it matter that, that you know, Iowa plays like crap, honestly, in, in the in the Citrus Bowl, that Penn State's defense, you know, doesn't look like it was supposed to look against Old Miss, that Ohio State, you, it used to mean when they were down to their number three quarterback, you have Cardell Jones coming in to sling 59 points on Wisconsin. Instead, I don't know if I, I can remember an Ohio State offensive performance nearly that bad as, as what they they you know did against um, you know Missouri in, in the Cotton Bowl. What's what are your thoughts on 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 Big Ten bowl season as a whole? 
Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, um, you know, because, you know, kind of like you talked about before, maybe it says something about the quality of just the Big Ten offense overall. Um, and that, you know, they've been talking, they've been spoken so highly of um, for having, you know, these great defenses, but maybe the defenses aren't that great because they're playing these terrible offenses. Um, but on the other side, um, you know, I think it still matters, you know, and I think the Big Ten is still, you know, a dominant conference, um, but maybe not as much as, as it's been in the past. You know, Ohio State is, is a team that, you know, I would worry about, you know, if I'm, if I'm an Ohio State fan, um, that's a team that I feel like is just past its mark. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do next year because, you know, I watched that Missouri game. Um, Devin Brown wasn't the guy. Um, and when he was hurt, um, the other guys they had weren't either, you know, and they haven't been able to bring in a transfer. Um, and at the same time, they've had a number of guys depart. Um, you know, Michigan, maybe they lose J.J. McCarthy next year. Like what happens with that offense when they lose, you know, Blake Corum too? Um, I don't know. The Big Ten's in a weird spot, but they're getting bailed out by by these Pac-12 teams. I will say that that was, you know, a great move to kind of expand um, because if they didn't, you know, maybe we would see the Big Ten start to slide and maybe they wouldn't be, you know, that that power to, um, you know, in college football. Or power. Th- I think assuming next season you're going to have a season that looks like the last two or th- and three, where you know Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan are all playing these big top ten games that are that are kind of propping the conference up. You know, I don't like you said. If you're not picking up these four Pac-12 schools to make things interesting, and two of them are in New Year's Six games, one of them is could still win the national championship for all you know in Washington. Yeah. You know, I'm picking Michigan, but but they could still win the national. If you're not bringing those two in, what? or four teams in what does the big 10 look like and to me it it looks terrible right now and, and i can't i can't tell you apart from michigan that it's vastly better than the acc um and i think in terms of depth i think it's much worse than the the big 12 is is currently um you know just just because yeah i think that the better the best teams in the big 10 are probably better than the best in the big 12 um especially when you take texas and oklahoma out of it but i think there's more good teams in the big 12 than there are in the big 10 yeah no it's uh it's weird. You know, it's, it's, it's really weird. And I, I think next year is going to be fun. Um, and, and the level of competition is obviously going to increase. Um, but you know, it's, uh, you know, the big 10 got bailed out, but you know, they, they did a good job at bringing these guys in. And, um, I think it's going to be good for, for the sport as a whole next year. Um, uh, I do have one question for you though, uh, playoff related, you know, regarding kind of James Franklin, if, if Penn State doesn't make the playoff next year, this is something that's been on my mind. If they, because you you seem pretty confident that they're going to make it. If they don't make the playoff next year, like is it is it time? Do you think it's time to cut ties? Well, James Franklin, I, I'd give him I'd give him one more. If it you, you know, more. granted, it, I think it depends how it looks, right? I mean, if if you make no progress offensively, if if it's it's still a mess uh, to the degree it was this season, if the if the defense is bad and, and does get shredded by a team like Washington at home, then, you know, I think that that matters and, and the, the optics, and we're not going to know the optics till we get there, but just in terms of his contract runs for so long, you've invested yeah. so much in him. It would cost so much to buy him out. And even if you miss the playoff in 2024, it is significantly easy to get there in, in subsequent seasons. We've seen James Franklin b- bounce back, um, you know, from, from where they were in 2020, 2021, to go from you know being a really solid program to having a downswing to coming back, I think that's an important quality in a coach. 
I I would not be there yet in terms of James Franklin, but I might amend that statement if it if it looks ugly and if it looks like I don't know. I'll throw an example out there: the Steelers this season. Um, you know, I, I think that's that that would be a bad sign. But Seth, I, what about you? What do you think on that question before we wrap up here? Yeah, well, I mean, regardless of uh, kind of what ha- I mean, if if they don't make the playoff in, in 2024, um, that 2025 season is going to be very uncomfortable for him if if they keep him around. Um, like I remember 2021, um, you know, after, you know, that absolute blunder of a 2020 season um, and 2021, you know, starting five and zero and um, pretty much destroying the season after that, like there were talks, you know, and then they ended up extending him. Um, but I remember that was, you know, that was uncomfortable. You know, it was just a different vibe um, in press conferences. And I, I think it kind of, um, you know, impacted the rest of the roster. That's that's what I would foresee for 2025 if they keep him after not making the playoff for that first year. Um, you know, I still give him two years, and I do think Penn State makes the playoff next year. Um, but two years without a win in the playoff, you know, start to think it over a little bit. But but you are right. It, it, it'll kind of figure itself out, you know, depending on, on, on how Penn State actually performs. But that's my take on it. Yeah, and I, I listen. I, I'm going to go into. I'll, I'll say that I think they're going to make the playoff because I don't think there's a game on that schedule that they can't win, or yeah, that they can't win next season. I don't. I don't see. There's no Michigan and Ohio State. The Ohio State you're going to get in at home in Happy Valley. I think is a beatable team. I have said that I think Penn State's going to beat Ohio State too many times to like tell you I think they're <laughs> going to win that game, but they can win that game. Um, USC looked like they looked like this year. Washington's going to lose Michael Penix. They're going to lose a lot of guys that you know. And I don't know if we're going to see that the depth from them be able to come back from that. Um, and so, you know, I think Penn State can win every single game on their schedule, maybe more so than they have in recent years. And that's where my confidence comes from. Um, but, Seth, thank you so much for joining me all season. Listen, folks, we're going to try to do these podcasts weekly um, until, you know, at least through the spring spring game, spring season, um, react to some portal news, react to some recruiting news, all that kind of stuff. Um, some weeks we might take off if there's nothing to talk about as, as sometimes happens in college football once you get into the off season. but but we intend to do this weekly um, we intend to have Seth back and, and keep going but I still want to thank Seth for you know here at the end of, of the games and and you know the, the newsiest time of year sticking with us all year while you were juggling daily collegiate work with working with the post Gazette. absolutely yeah it was it was a pleasure Well, we will talk to you all again next week. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, please pop a like on this video. Help us out with the YouTube algorithm. Please subscribe so you don't miss any of our videos. And, of course, Christopher Carter, uh, North Shore Drive, all kind of Steelers talk the rest of the week. I'll be back with Paul Zeiss on Thursday. So uh, make sure you check that all out. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.